Welcome to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. I have often heard related, and have heard the song recited, how the nights closed ever lonely, and the days were shining lonely. Only born was Vainamoinen, and revealed the bard immortal, sprung from the divine creatrix, born of Ilmatar, his mother. Air's young daughter was a virgin, the fairest daughter of creation. Long did she abide a virgin, all the long days of her girlhood, in the air's own spacious mansions, in those far extending regions. Wearily the time passed ever, and her life became a burden, dwelling ever more so lonely, always living as a maiden, in the air's own spacious mansions, in those far extending deserts. Excerpt from the Kalevala Seeking out the beginning, the story of our creation, is something humankind is naturally curious about. The genesis of life in every mythology can be fascinating, though it might take a little bit of imagination to visualise how all things came to be, and whether or not it's something you choose to believe in, the imagery can be breathtaking. Today, I've selected three creation myths to share with you, which I very much hope you enjoy. The Kalevala, or Land of Heroes, is Finland's national epic, compiled from old ballads, songs and incantations, and published by Elias Lonrod in 1835, and then again in 1849, the later version being a total of 50 cantos or stanzas. When reading the Kalevala, there is a rhythm that pulls you into the story of Vainamoinen, our hero. Alas, I'm not a singer. I did find an album that might well be of interest. It's the Kalevala Heritage, archive recordings of ancient Finnish songs. And the singing that you heard at the opening of the episode is Vainamoinen's Wounded Knee by Annie Tenisova. The first cycle of cantos 1 to 10 begins with a beautiful introduction. If we were to hear it being sung, it might well demand our immediate attention. We are introduced to Vainamoinen, the son of the wind and the virgin of the air. He is a deity, a skilled shaman of songs and incantations, a man of such power and wisdom that he traverses the realm of the dead unscathed, 
who, when he emerges from his mother, is already an old man, yet conquers Yukahainen, who offers the hand of his sister, the tragic Aino, for his freedom. Vainamoinen, who encourages his brother Ilmarenen to forge the Sampo, a talisman that has been interpreted as a cosmological pillar supporting the heavens, or a world tree, a mill, or even a compass. What then of the creation of the earth, the realm in which we dwell? Then the mother of the waters, water mother, made Ariel, felt it hot and felt it hotter, and she felt her skin was heated, till she thought her knee was burning, and that all her veins were melting. Then she jerked her knee with quickness, and her limbs convulsive shaking, rolled the eggs into the water, down amid the waves of ocean, and to the splinters they were broken, and to fragments they were shattered. In the ooze they were not wasted, nor the fragments in the water. But a wondrous change came o'er them, and the fragments all grew lovely. From the cracked egg's lower fragment, now the solid earth was fashioned. From the cracked egg's upper fragment, rose the lofty arch of heaven. From the yolk, the upper portion, now became the sun's bright luster. From the white, the upper portion, rose the moon that shines so brightly. Whatso in the egg was mottled, now became the stars in heaven. Whatso in the egg was blackish, in the air as cloudlets floated. Now the time passed quickly over, and the years rolled quickly onward. In the new sun's shining luster, in the new moon's softer beaming. Still the water mother floated, water mother made aerial, ever on the peaceful waters, on the billow's foamy surface, with the moving waves before her, and the heaven serene behind her. Velispa, the Valo's Prophecy For silence I pray all sacred children, great and small, sons of Hemdal. They will that I Valfather's deeds recount, men's ancient saws, those that I best remember. The Jotuns I remember early born, those whom you of old have reared. I nine worlds remember. Nine trees, the great central tree beneath the earth. There was in times of old where Ymir dwelt, nor land nor sea, nor gelid waves, earth existed not, nor heavens above. It was a chaotic chasm and grass nowhere. Before Burr's sons raised up heaven's vault, they who the noble mid-earth shaped. The sun shone from the south over the structure's rocks. Then was the earth begrown with herbage green. The sun from the south, the moon's companion, her right hand cast about the heavenly horses. The sun knew not where she had the dwelling. The moon knew not what power he possessed. The stars knew not where they had a station. 
Then went all the powers to their judgment seats, the all-holy gods, and their unheld counsel. Tonight unto the waning moon gave names, morn they named, and midday, afternoon and eve, whereby to reckon years. Benjamin Thorpe Translation I will never tire of the Velispa, but what is the Norse myth of creation? What came before the realms, the Aesir and the Vanir, before the footsteps of humankind and the prophecy of Ragnarok? Let us look to Snowy Starlison's Gilfaginning. It was many ages before the earth was created that Niflheim was made, and in its midst lies a spring called Vergelmir, and from it flow the rivers called Sval, Gunthra, Fjorum, Fimbulfull, Slid and Hrid, Silg and Ilg, Vid, Hipt. But first, there was the world in the southern region called Mispel. It was bright and hot. That area is flaming and burning, and it is impassable for those that are foreigners there, and not native to it. There is one called Surt that is stationed there at the frontier to defend the land. He has a flaming sword, and at the end of the world, he will go and wage war and defeat all the gods and burn the whole world to fire. These rivers, which are called Elivagar, when they had got so far from their source that the poisonous flow that accompanied them began to go hard like the clinker that comes from a furnace, it turned to ice, and when this ice came to a halt and stopped flowing, the vapour that was rising from the poison froze on top in the same direction and turned to rime. And this rime increased layer upon layer, right across Ginningagath. The part that faces in a northerly direction was filled with the weight and heaviness of ice and rime, and there was a vapour and a blowing inwards from it. But the southerly part of Gap cleared up in the face of the sparks and the molten particles that came flying out of the world of Muspel, just as from Niflheim. There arose coldness and all things grim, so that what was facing Muspel was hot and bright, but Gap was as mild as a windless sky. And when the rime and the blowing of the warmth met, so that it thawed and dripped, there was a quickening. From these flowing drops, due to the power and the source of the heat, it became the form of a man, and he was given the name Ymir. The frost giants call him Orgelmir, and from him are descended the generations of frost giants. He was evil, and all his descendants, and it is said that when he slept he sweated. Then there grew under his left arm a male and a female, and one of his legs begot a son with the other, and descendants come from them. The next thing, when the rhyme dripped, was that there came into being from it a cow called Odhumla, and four rivers of milk flowed from its teats and fed Ymir. Odhumla licked the rhyme stones which were salty, and the first day, as it licked the stones, there came from the stones in the evening a man's hair, the second day a man's head, 
The third day, there was a complete man there. His name was Buri. He was beautiful in appearance, big and powerful. He begot a son called Bor. He married a wife called Bestla, the daughter of the giant Bothorn. They had three sons. One was called Odin, the second Fili, and the third Fi. Bor's sons killed the giant Ymir. They took Ymir and transported him to the middle of Gunungagat, and out of him was made the earth, out of his blood the sea and lakes. The earth was made of the flesh, the rocks of the bones, stones and scree they made out of the teeth and molars and of the bones that had been broken. Out of the blood that came from his wounds, and was flowing unconfined. Out of this, they made the sea, with which they encompassed and contained the earth, and they placed the sea in a circle round the outside of it. They also took the skull and made out of it the sky, and set it up over the earth with four points, and under each corner they set a dwarf. Their names are Ostri, Vestri, Nordri, Sudri. Then they took molten particles and sparks that were flying uncontrolled and had shot out of the world of Muspel and set them in the middle of the firmament of the sky, both above and below, to illuminate heaven and earth. They fixed all the lights, some in the sky, some moved in a wandering course beneath the sky, but they appointed them positions and ordained their courses. On the earth on the inner side, they made a fortification round the world against the hostility of the giants. And for this fortification, they used the giant Emir's eyelashes, and they called it Midgard. They also took out his brains and threw them into the sky and made out of them the clouds. As Bor's sons walked along the seashore, they came across two logs and created people out of them. The first gave breath and life, the second, consciousness and movement. The third, the face, speech, hearing and sight. They gave them clothes and names. The man's was called Ask. The woman, Embla. From them were produced the mankind to whom the dwelling place under Midgard was given. After that, they made themselves a city in the middle of the world, which is known as Asgard. The Sami are the indigenous people who inhabit the area called Sápmi, that today encompasses parts of Norway, Sweden, Finland, the Kola Peninsula and Russia. 
there are subtle differences within the various Sami languages, folklore and beliefs, just as one might imagine when moving from region to region. History tells us much about the suffering of the Sami. With the arrival of a new religion many hundreds of years ago, the traditional practices and beliefs of the Sami were threatened, and a great effort was made to convert them to a faith that was very different in so many important ways. Adding to this is the fact that they were not recognised in having any legitimate claim to the lands they inhabited, and the suppression of their culture. We can only grasp a little of what feels like many long years of oppression. But with time, as with most things, there has been a very real and determined movement to remember and preserve the memory of the old ways, the art of yoik, shamanism, reindeer herding, hunting, fishing, storytelling, folklore, mythology, music, dance, language, crafting, customs and so much more that plays a fundamental role in the modern life of the Sami people today. I've had the very great pleasure of making contact with members of the Sami community who have introduced me to fascinating aspects of their culture, Yoik being one of them, and being introduced to incredibly patient and dedicated historians, archivists and spiritual practitioners. It's been so special, and it's a journey I'll happily continue for many more years to come. The Sami people's traditional spiritual practices lie within shamanism and a form of animism. That's to say, their ancient beliefs regarded all things as possessing an essence or a soul, if you like. Animals, plants, trees, the rocks, everything had a spirit. There was a very real connection to and veneration of nature, the sun in particular. And many animals were revered, such as the reindeer, the bear, even the fish. Sami mythology is quite different to some of the myths that we're more familiar with. I think there's something rather beautiful about it. Perhaps it is the deep-rooted connection to nature, their worldview, the deep respect for the land and animals alike. We are going to discover Sami mythology, history and so much more in upcoming episodes. But in the meantime, should you be interested in starting with a little folklore, I can happily recommend a fantastic book. It's by the ethnographer and artist Emily de Hutt. By the Fire, Sami Folktales and Legends translated by Barbara Suholm. I will of course include the details in the show description. But for today, let us turn our attention to the creation stories, which, like the languages, customs and folklore of the Satmi region, reveal a tantalising glimpse of what we shall discover together in future podcasts. Locating sources of information takes time. Sadly, so much of the Sami mythology has been lost over the years. But an oral tradition the Sami people themselves, and the efforts of scholars, ethnographers, historians, archivists, writers, and enthusiasts. We have sources that reveal the names of deities, hierarchy, cosmology, and fascinating insights into the life of nomad herders, those who dwelled by the sea, the forests, and the mountains. There are some key names, dates, and sources I will mention today, and will cover in greater depth in future episodes, for each are quite deserving of more discussion. Fragments of Lapish mythology was compiled and written between 1838 and 1845 by the Swedish minister Lars Levi Listadius. It contains important accounts of Sami beliefs and mythology of that period. When reading it, it is apparent that Christianization had already had an influence on the community, 
However, we are given an incredible insight from a man who was on his mother's side from Sami descent. There are two passages of interest, and this one reads, While I asked them if they knew how their ancestors came to live in this country, and whether any people lived there before they arrived, they answered they did not know, but they were of the opinion that they, as well as in other places, people had lived, before God overturned the world. I asked how that came about. They replied, There was, in days of yore, a time when God turned the earth upside down, so that the water from the marshes and the rivers climbed up onto the land, drowned all the people, except two siblings, a boy and a girl. God took them under his arm to a high mountain called Passivara, the holy mountain, which since the danger was past and God had let them go, they separated from each other and each went their own way with the idea of finding out whether there were other people in the world than they. After they had thus wandered around three years, they came back together and recognised each other again. Hence, they separated again and went away another three years, until they met and recognised each other again. But when they met a third time, after another three years, they could no longer recognise one another. Therefore, they agreed to accompany each other and produce children, from which later on all humans who now live on the earth have come. Another entry includes a quote from the frequently referenced Hogström. Perkel was in council with God or Dubmel when the world was going to be created, and that likewise he was the reason that not everything became as good as Dubmel would have had, and that he likewise competes with God for omnipotence, one has perceived from the other of their stories. A certain lap has otherwise been known to speak about a time when Perkel made chains of iron with which he bound Dubmel and threw him over a large mountain. Then Jibmal bound Perkel and threw a mountain over him, but the evil one broke loose so that the rocks and the dust shot sky high. And When upon my first arrival in Kaitam Lilia Lapmark, I was offered to ascertain whether they had any stories which they had gotten as children from the children of their ancestors. About one thing or other, some started to tell me what they had heard from the old folks about the world's creation and asked me whether it was true. They said that when God created the world, he confirmed with Perkel, or the evil one, as to how everything should be arranged. God wanted all trees to consist of pith, or seas of milk, and on all grass flowers and plants were to grow berries. The evil one was opposed, which is how it remained. Perkel was another name for the devil, and Jubmel, another name for Rati and Atye, the all-powerful and ruling god of the upper sky. In 1986, at the Sami conference in Sweden, they unveiled a flag designed by artist Astrid Ball. It was to represent the Sami people of Sapmi. It's quite a stunning design. The colours are vivid and bright, and relevant to the people themselves. Red, blue, yellow and green are united by a circle representing the sun and the moon. Ball took her inspiration not only from the shaman's drum, a poignant symbol of their traditional beliefs, but also the poem Paivin Parne, or The Sons of the Sun, which was written by Anders Fjellner 
a southern Sami himself. The reindeer is a significant symbol and feature of Sami society. From herding to nourishment and even the duji or crafting, the reindeer plays an important role. However, herding was adversely affected by the treatment of the Sami people, and this way of life became sorely threatened time and time again. The loss of land, licenses and taxes imposed, the disregard of a Sami political voice, and even global warming have all played a part. Nowadays, only a small percentage are herders, but that the world was created by a reindeer, its veins the rivers, its fur the forests, its stomach the oceans, and its horns the mountains. This gives you an idea of how the Sami people viewed this magnificent beast. Indeed, in a time when survival depended upon the skill not only of hunters and herders, but of those who could use every possible part of the animals, drying or smoking the meat, the sinew skin and bones used for shelter, clothing, shoes, the manufacture of sleds, or tools. It's not hard to understand the importance of this animal and not to forget it also had a role in ritual sacrifice and offerings. I have two poems to share with you that illustrate the Sami concept of creation beautifully. I briefly touched upon the idea that Sami deities and nature were intricately connected, that every creature, every organic element in nature, had a spirit. And the people themselves were descended from the sun. In fact, the flag I mentioned is called The Sami are the children of the sun. I have chosen the first few stanzas of the epic and heroic poem The Son of the Sun's Courting in the Land of the Giants by Anders Fjellner. As they're quite marvellous, it's a great introduction to the story, and they illustrate the incredible writing of Fjellner. The story itself describes how the son of the sun leaves his land in search of a wife. He spends a year at sea before he comes upon the land of giants, and is enthralled with the giant's daughter, who is as equally taken with him. As they leave to return to the land from which the sun came, they are pursued by the brother of the giant's daughter. They do safely escape. The poem describes two marriage ceremonies, the way of the giants and that belonging to the sun itself. It is said their children are the forefathers of the Sami people, the children of the sun. Few men were there before, a lack of women for the men. Man hugged his women, their blood they blended together. The mother suckled her offspring, washed and fed the child. The boy kicked in the cradle. From his father got strong sinews. From his mother gained good sense. Ancestor of the son's sons. That's how we heard it. So it is told. Beyond the easternmost star, to the west of the moon and sun, are found fells of silver and gold, stones for the hearth, stones for adornment, gold sparkles, silver glimmers, sea mirrors the mountain image. The suns, the moons and the stars smile on the mountain's cheeks. The sun had his vessel floated, takes with him the best men. The wind takes hold of the sails, pushes the boat forward. The waves drive the floating craft, rudder and tiller turn. The south wind guides the group way beyond the moon, way beyond the sun's shining ring. Soon the moon and the sun will be 
as small as the northern star. Great this latter orb grows, glows in burning ruby red. An entire year they are gone, the waves break against the boat. Finally, the journey is over, toward the horizon giant's shore. From afar, the eye beholds the giant's fair young maiden, the blind old man's support. She washes clothes by torchlight, beats, rinses, dries, smooths them, makes herself pretty, puts fragrant grass on her breast. Her eye seeks the sea, catches the sight of the travelling sun. Where do you come from? Whom do you seek? The house of death, the son of sun. Will you be drank for my father? Something good for me to suck on? Drudgery is price from my brothers, or my brother-in-law's cooking meat. Saraka shaped from my father, flexible sinews and strong arms, blended mother and father together. Uksaka fed me with milk, nourished my heart with reason. Repose I seek in the storm, mild smile for my wrath. In life, someone to gladden me, in death a friend, in hardship hope, in heartache some support. Under burden of need a comfort, a mouth to share the catch with, someone to guide me in the unknown, a descendant of us both. Abruptly, blood begins to course. Unrest beats in the young breast. Let us two blend our blood. Let our hearts be united in sorrow and joy. In the name of my blessed mother, prayer, sighing and loss, I hand over to my father. Call my mother in sand and birch bark. Today, I will leave you with the death of the son's daughter, a stirring poem. It identifies with who and what the deities were associated. It gives us a glimpse of suffering, the darkness that enveloped the people, and the final moments of the sun's daughter, who, in her dying breaths, recites a prayer for the return of the sun, in a land to the north, where in winter light can be fleeting. The Death of the Sun's Daughter by Anders Fjellner Near the holy door in the turf hut, the son's daughter, Nyavishetne, tired of life's heavy burdens, yearns to escape to another place, wishes to see God, the master, the thunder god, foe of giants, wants to see the son, her father. She awaits the spirit of death, in turf huts near the holy door, the son's daughter, Nyavishetne. She who corralled the wild reindeer, gave it then to the sun's children. On her last journey shall she fare. He stands by her bed, her son, the evil Akashene's bane. At the foot of a bed, a girl, young daughter of Akashene. The sun's beautiful daughter speaks. She's hard to hear, weak is her voice. Hear her words, remember them. The sun's beautiful daughter says, The sun's setting, night is coming. Darkness blankets lovely sap me. Morning will come, will it not? The sun slowly sinks. The wolf comes, slinks round in the dark of night, wily it is when it's hunting. Morning will come, 
will it not? The sun is setting, the herd shrinks, the pest rages, insects torment, children poke about in the dark. Morning will come, will it not? The sun slowly sinks, withdraws its light. The sun's daughter to father goes, takes with her too the sun's children. Morning will come, will it not? My thanks for joining me today. I hope you've enjoyed these tales as much as I have. As always, I extend my sincere thanks to my Patreon family, who continue to be incredibly supportive. Should you wish to get in touch, I wholeheartedly encourage you to do so. Email is mlegendslore at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at loremyth, Facebook and patreon.com forward slash mythlegendlore. I'm Siobhan Clark. Thank you for listening to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. <laughs>